The Red Lamp District, Episode 7, The Weight of Glory, by C.S. Lewis. Welcome to the Red Lamp District, episode number seven, on The Weight of Glory by C.S. Lewis. Thanks wait, for joining us. Wait, wait, wait. Glory, 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 glory. Mm, little, little Lou Gehrig in Yankee Stadium yeah. action there. Today, mm. day, day, day. I, I, I consider myself, self, 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 the I luckiest really, man, man, man. I really hope he didn't <laughs> deliver the whole, uh, it wasn't like that when C.S. Lewis was delivering this lecture <laughs> in, the, in the church. <laughs> That would, have, that would have gotten that probably would have gotten old after you know after the first paragraph or so. Yeah, no, I don't think. Yeah, hope not. But it would have been kind of uh, you know been a nice little like uh, production effect concerning the topic. You know, glory. <laughs> yeah. Right on. All right. Well, we're here to talk about the weight of glory today by C.S. Lewis. So yeah, man. <clears throat> um, this was my so so last week you kind of suggested. Um. Kingfisher by Gerard Manley Hopkins, and and then I was like, "Hey, we should read The Weight of Glory by C.S. Lewis." And it had been a long time since I'd read this essay, mm-hmm. uh, but I this was a this was an essay I read for the first time when I was probably you know I was probably in my teen like late teens, and I just remember I don't know why I read it. I mean, I'd been a C.S. Lewis fan since I was a little kid. Like he was always, C.S. Lewis is like, I mean, he might as he might as well be like one of the other, like an apostle for me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, you know. In the well, sense, you mentioned this in in an earlier episode. Did I mention this? Yeah. Did I mention this particular? You kind of given your life story. Yeah. Well, and and I just remember. Well, well, first of all, like I I know part of my story has always been like. The, just reading Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe as a little kid, like with my dad, mm-hmm. and hi, him kind of explaining the allegory to me, and that was that was hugely influential in like my early faith, and and C.S. Lewis just he just has such he just had such an incredible like just his rhetoric was incredible, right? Yep. Alone, like the 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 way he could. I don't know all the different things, right? Like the way he would, the way he could argue a point, right? So, so gracefully, but so forcefully at the same time. Yeah. And you would just be like, you you just feel demolished at like, <laughs> it, you know, in yeah. terms of like the, when he puts forward an idea and, you know, and you're like, I can't really argue with that, you know? Um, yeah. Brilliant. Just, it, it, and it's just so, so enjoyable. Mm-hmm so enjoyable to listen to yeah and 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 to read i've been actually i've been listening to this essay a lot this way i've listened to it like four or five times just to prep for this episode yeah on the audiobook um but uh i just thought we needed to spend some time talking about this especially early in the life of this podcast uh it's i feel like it's a foundational one and i feel like it's one that every every christian and um and and certainly Catholics should listen to, right? I feel like, um, you know, Lewis was not a, uh, um, uh, never, never made the full journey into Catholicism, um, much to J.R.R. Tolkien's chagrin. Mm-hmm. Um, but it still feels so Catholic to me. You know what I'm saying when I read this thing? Yeah. Well, Lewis um, has tapped into the medievals. Totally, totally. Um, and that's where a lot of it comes from. Yeah. yeah. And he was a very like lowercase c Catholic minded, mm-hmm. you know, uh, kind of individual. For right. Sure. For sure. And, um, and it, that's a whole interesting question of itself. Like why, you know, if he was so attracted to so many things that are specifically Catholic, why didn't he ever become Catholic? Um, that's maybe a, a question for another time. Yeah. Um, but He's from Ulster. Yeah. Well, and is... that's, that's, there's some biographical kinds of issues there. You know, he was, he was raised in a very kind of, I mean, I, I guess it was an anti-Catholic environment, you know, no Northern, Northern Ireland. Um, and, and anyway, I don't want to get into polemics or anything like that. I want to explore like the beauty of this particular essay and the wonder of it, because I feel like it's, it's the kind of thing that P- 
people need to read. Uh, other Catholics need to read it if you haven't already read it. And, um, you know, I mean, everybody should read it. It's just, it's that good mm-hmm. because it talks about desire, but a little bit of background on it. Um, so, I mean, Lewis really doesn't need an introduction. We'll have, we'll have a link to his Wikipedia page in the show notes if you want it. But, you know, just one of the greatest apologists of Christian apologists of the 20th century without, without a doubt, probably one of the most influential, if not the most influential, you know, still to this day. Yeah. Um, and, um, and then he delivered this as a sermon on June 8th, 1941, uh, during solemn evensong at Oxford University Church of St. Mary the Virgin. I just have to say that I wish that uh, every Catholic church had solemn evensong on <laughs> on Sunday. Right. You know, yeah. like, first of all, I wish we'd called it everything, like, solemn, and then whatever it is, right? Yeah, yeah. So, like, Not solemn up, in the sense of glum. Like so- solemnity, right? Like right. a solemnity is the highest feast day you can have. Right. It's the highest type of feast day you can have in the Catholic Church. Yeah. And yeah, people think solemn in terms of glum, and that's not what it is. It's, um, it's well, I, the most celebratory, the most glorious. Right. It's supposed to be the highest, the highest of feast days. Right. right. It's it's the it's literally the day if you get a solemnity during on a Friday during Lent when otherwise you would be abstaining from meat, you don't abstain from meat. Yeah. Trumps, right. trumps. It trumps, trumps it. it trumps the fast days, right? If it sh- if a solemnity shows up, mm-hmm. so yeah, he delivered it during solemn even song at Oxford University Church of Saint Mary the Virgin on June eighth, nineteen forty one. Which um, that church in and of itself is a beauty. Have you have you ever been to that particular church? Yep. yep. Yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. I take it. I've yeah. seen pictures. It's glorious. Yeah. But you've no, seen it, no doubt. Yep. I've heard lectures there. Chris, on Lewis. Chris has been there. Chris has been to the promised been land there, and seen it there. with his own eyes. Yeah. I have merely <laughs> glimpsed images, distant images. Chris has <laughs> has I've participated in yeah. the glory. Yeah. So I felt the weight of it. Oh man. Yeah. yeah. It's it's heavy. It'll crush you. If if you let that church sit on top of your back. <laughs> um uh, it, it's also interesting to think that this was during World War Two. So this is a few months before the U.S. entered World War Two, but Britain is already like in the throes of the war. They had uh, survived the Battle of Britain the year before, hmm. and just the the onslaught from the air of the Germans, and um, and it's two weeks before Germany invaded the Soviet Union, uh, which Goodness. was June twenty second, nineteen forty one. So, you know, this is maybe maybe it's kind of during a lull. You know, not, I mean, the war is still going on, but it's kind of a lull after, I think, Germany was trying to regroup for their next big thing. And, mm-hmm. you know, they kind of conceded that Britain wasn't going to uh, to fall so easily for them. Mm-hmm. So, um, anyway, it's it, it happened during an interesting historical period. He's delivering, he's literally delivering this lecture during World War II. Mm-hmm. So, that's also kind of an interesting historical yeah, note. Right. So, yeah. And then it came down to us later on in a in a collection of essays, which we'll link to, and everybody should pick this up because there's a ton of great essays. But it's called "The Weight of Glory," and there's there's several other essays, at, at least one of which I want to eventually discuss on the podcast as mm. well. Which one? Uh, it's theology poetry. Okay, but there's some other good ones in there yeah. too. Yeah, transposition. I thought was a really great. Essay. I have not listened to that one yet. I'm I'm planning check it out, man. I'm planning on listening to this whole collection on a road trip soon. So. Because um, I think Greta will really—I don't think she's ever read these th- read these—and I think mm. she'll really enjoy them. So, anyway, um, well, let's talk about let's talk about the essay itself. Yeah, man. So, um, I don't know where do you want to start. I want to start with the D word. The D word. Yeah. Capital D. Desire. Desire. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. The D word. Yeah, I mean, the D word. <laughs> the D, you know, the D word. Yeah, desire. Yeah, that's a right. big word. Yeah, I think it just—it's the the undercurrent, the point of the thing is that that we are desire. Right. Well, I remember reading this, and I think that was one of the first things I latched onto because, um, is is like. I think that's why this was such a pivotal essay for me to read when I was young, because I didn't understand that about Christianity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I so so much so much of Christianity can come off as trying to squash 
your desires, right? That you, that it's it's all yeah. about like tamping down like the you know it's all about tamping down the natural desires that you have, mm-hmm. right? And and so you understand why so many people are put off by that, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and that was a difficult thing for me as a kid, as a committed Christian. And so for Lewis to come along in my life and deliver this idea that like that image, that first image, big image in this essay, the mud pie image, mm-hmm. I mean, that has stuck with me like mm. since then. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to, I'm just going to read that quote that here. Cause it's such a powerful image. Let's see. I should have had it better marked. We're so professional mm. on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, um, I didn't mark it. What in the world's wrong? Here we go. Mm. Um, He says, Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum, because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. That image of the the ignorant, I mean, that's that's what I'm talking about with Lewis, right? Yeah. He like, can hit the nail on the head. My gosh. Those images, yeah. That image has just informed my, like, informed so many things in my life. Mm-hmm. You know, that, like, we think that all the things that matter to most people in this world that we spend most of our lives obsessing over, right money sex ambition um he's like those are the mud pies right yeah those are the mud pies of the child in the slum yeah to be ruler of the world to be king of the world to be donald trump or whatever in charge of the most powerful nation in the world right being the most powerful man in the world is a mud pie right yeah Yeah. uh whatever it is whatever it is that you're like focused on day to day right those are the mud pies because you have never yet seen the glory of of the of the ocean and the beach, right? You, you think that like playing around in your little sandbox, you know, filthy sandbox in the middle of a you know ugly slum, mm-hmm. is where it's at, and that's what all of those things in this world are. So, and and by saying that, we find out later that he's not necessarily putting those other things down. Right. Right. We'll, we'll come back to that eventually. He'll come back to that eventually. No, that's important. But he's saying that like part of the part of our problem is that we don't understand that our desires are far too weak, that we are we're in we're in danger. Our problem is that we're in danger of missing out on much greater things. We things that we can't really even fully imagine. Mm-hmm. Right. But but they nevertheless exist. And those are the things that we are under threat of missing out on. Yeah. So. It's kind of like, you know, the desire for marriage or the desire for, you know, consummation of your marriage is not a bad thing at all. It's a glorious and good thing. And it actually it finds its ultimate source and its value and its goodness in its iconicity or its uh, the way in which it becomes a doorway to a participatory doorway to, mm-hmm. the, to the highest good. Right. Consummation, union with God. Mm-hmm. And those two are not opposed. They're only opposed, in and of themselves, they're not opposed. They're only opposed when, I guess, the, the lower desire, mm-hmm. the sort of the, the natural, you know, desire. Ba- baser desire, maybe to use a more. Yeah. yeah older, not based in a bad way. Term. But yeah. yeah. Um, is, uh, becomes sort of an end in itself. Right. As opposed to, an, you know, I was trying to put it a passageway or a doorway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and it which is the same with with everything that mm-hmm. we can you know that we can desire in this world, right? When it's when it becomes a thing where it's opposed, um, you know, where it it's opposed or separated, even just separated from from God, mm-hmm. right? Um, which is like the ongoing challenge, right? That's the ongoing challenge of the Christian life. Mm-hmm. So, I really love how he works in the progression of desire over the next couple of uh, you know the next couple couple of paragraphs in this essay um it's a very like, i kind of laugh at it because you know it, it's a it's sort of an outdated way way of looking at this but i think 
you know, we can all kind of understand if we put ourselves into the historical context. I mean, Lewis comes from this, you know, English kind of like boarding school tradition, right? Where, you know, as a young, young man, you go away to school and, um, you, you know, you, you basically live at this school. It's the, you know, it's, it's the, um, it's one of the things I think that appeals to us about Harry Potter is like, Mm -hmm. you know, the whole like fascination of like the British boarding school. Right. (laughs) Um, and all the intrigue associated with it. But yeah, I mean, they, you know, Lewis, Tolkien, all those guys, like that was their, their education as young men is like, they learn the classics. They go away to school and they learn the classics and they learn how to speak these ancient languages so that they were bloody well educated. Oh, super well educated. Brilliant. Yeah. And, um, I, it's it's just foreign to us, right? Because we don't educate in this way now, for the yeah. most part. Uh, I know there's movements to want to do more of that, but I I have yet to hear of a classical school movement that focuses on learning, you know, Greek, you know, and uh, Latin and Greek, right? Yeah. So yeah. that so that you can eventually read Sophocles, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> right. Um, in the original language. Yeah. So, but that's kind of the image he uses. Is that that's another image he uses here? Is that you know, it's like a schoolboy when he first, you know, when he's first learning Greek. Um, he can't, you know, he, his taste, he's going to reach, he's even going to reach a point where he maybe thinks he's, he's moving along when he starts to appreciate like the romantic poets. And even then he's like way short of, you know, like Sophocles or something like that and being able to, so there's, there's a sense in which it, I, I, I did think it was funny cause I feel like Lewis brush, he brushes up against uh kind of snobbery a little bit you know, a couple of times with talking about like, well, being able to appreciate Sophocles in the original language. And I'm like, dude, I am so far away from that. It's not even <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm in, I'm into, uh, I'm into slow dive, man. Yeah. So, you know, like right. Soph- Sophocles in the original Greek. Uh, okay. But yeah. the point is he actually, we'll he trust act- him on that. He actually, exactly. He actually avoids the snobbery, you know, uh, by saying like, I, his way of avoiding snobbery here is saying like, you know, it doesn't have to be Sophocles. A young man might appreciate uh, Milton's epic poetry as well, or you know, mm-hmm, <laughs> kind of mm-hmm. says that at one point. Um, but the point of it all is well taken, and it's this whole idea that like we're in, like that just as the schoolboy is in training so that he can appreciate these things, where when he begins, he can't even understand why he would want to appreciate that, right? Because there's other things that are much easier for him to appreciate, right, and to desire. Um, that's the same way it is for us so often in, in the Christian life, right? That, that we, for, for humanity, right? We, we desire these much lesser things thinking that they're the most wonderful things when something much greater is offered to us, but we have to, we have to invest in it and pursue it. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and at first it's hard to even understand like why we would want to desire that when we maybe are first setting out why we'd even want to desire that mm-hmm. there's something within us that has to be awakened. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yes. So at the, at the beginning, the schoolboy is like forced mm-hmm. to study the Greek, you know, paradigm endings, you know, the different, you know, verbs and learn all the aspects of the grammar and slowly and slowly, slowly, slowly he starts to get a sort of glimmer of the glory of reading in the original. But at the beginning it's drudgery and pain he doesn't see why he's, he's only does it because he's afraid of getting a spanking or afraid of failing a class. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's sort of the first, the first desire is, you know, I desire to avoid punishment. Right. And, and right. I'm, the, the, the one in authority, the teacher or the parent is someone is the one who, you know, can see further than that for the child. They see the, the child's good mm-hmm. and is putting them through the, the discipline in the hope that they will, um, begin to see the, the good as well and it, to desire it. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, so, and this desire is it, itself, he says the, like the, f- when that, when that desire for this thing that you can't quite reach on a sensible level is first realized like it's he says it's the first taste of the ultimate reward like it's that initial taste you you actually when you're when your desire begins to not to go beyond like the the mere things like the natural desires of the world mm-hmm. right and you know it's really then that that ultimate desire is being awakened mm-hmm. in you yeah right yeah and um 
again, I, I love how he begins to deal with this because uh, there's this great passage where, you know, he's speaking of, that, gosh, I love this line. I am trying to rip open the inconsolable secret in each, in each one of you, right? I'm like, that right there, boom. You That's know? so much the heart of all of his writing, his yeah. fiction, the, from the, the science in, fiction to the children's stories to everything else. The inconsolable secret, right? Yeah. And, and, you Sensucht, know, the German longing, ex- exactly. immortal longing, longing that's um, beyond fulfillment. Well, we, um, this is, I think this is something where he and, he and Tolkien really like fed, fed back and forth on mm-hmm. one another, mm-hmm. right? Um and and one of the reasons why that's such a remarkable friendship is because you get like you get a lot of that in Tolkien's own fiction, right? Yeah. You, you get this oh, sense, man. you know, especially when you get into Lord of the Rings, um, and 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 even into the Silmarillion. Um, but then you read a lot of Tolkien's own thought. His like mm-hmm. when he does reveal sort of his more philosophical. There's so many things by Tolkien I'd, I'd love to read and discuss on this. Uh, even on this podcast, even though I got my other Tolkien Road podcast where we talk all about Tolkien. Um, uh, subscribe, rate, review. Uh, on uh, Lewis, I know, picked up picked up so many things from Tolkien and vice versa, mm-hmm. right, in this regard. And, um, you know, I think they, I think they did, like discovered something of that within one another. They were both kind of speaking this same language, Right on a the same sort of spiritual language mm-hmm. this, that the longing is there. Right. Um, you know when you talk about like it, when you talk, it, it crossed my mind when you talk about like the desires, like working towards you know these greater desires, even when you don't understand like even what you're getting towards there. It it, it starts to put all the stuff about denial in Christianity into a better perspective, and that's one of the first yeah. things. Like Lewis almost begins this essay by squashing down sort of a you know, a modern, maybe a modern heresy. And it's a, um, it's a little bit of an insidious heresy because there are certain strains of Christianity, which I think in a modern level, it's, you know, he, he argues that a lot of people would say that like the highest virtue is unselfishness. Yeah. That's and, very much a British, uh, yeah. wartime British idea. I think. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> especially in wartime. That was probably what a lot of people would say yeah. is like unselfishness. Yeah. Right. Right. And now and, what do you think people would say? Oh gosh. Who even knows? Self-interest, no. <laughs> right. Maybe. They'd probably, I mean, probably say love. But yeah, but what do they mean? Right. Yeah. You know, it's the, roman- it's the, the romantic Eros. feeling. Of yeah, and that's, that's another one. Like, you know, Lewis has the four loves where he talks about the, you know, four different classical yeah. categories of love. Yeah. And, yeah, okay. yeah. and But um, Lewis makes the point early on that unselfishness is wonderful. It's, as good a thing as it is, it's it's a means to an end, Right. And the ultimate end is not that you be uh, completely like completely miser- like miserable, right? Yeah. Because you are so unselfish that you just give everything away and completely fall apart, right? Um, it's because of a greater desire, right? Yeah, it's because of it's because of this greater desire that you're still in the process of discovering, mm-hmm. right? And unselfishness is is part of the path to that greater desire, yes. right? Um, which is love, right? Mm-hmm. And what does he mean by love? He, you know, that's, um, you know, he's. I mean, I think he would say he would say agape, right? He would say the ultimate, the burning heart of God, right? The love of God, mm-hmm. um, the same love uh, that Saint John speaks of in mm-hmm. his letters, right? Yeah, it's sort of beyond the opposition between eros mm-hmm. and agape. It's like, you know, they sort of they sort of ming- they sort of mingle and, and merge, mm-hmm. so that you know. Christianity is not about extinguishing the candle, mm-hmm. you know. Well, and of, it puts of self and it puts longing. Into, it puts into perspective like all of the unselfishness, right? The um, you oh, know, the, the things you the, do. Maybe right. the car- maybe the caricatures of that a lot of people have. It's not only not just of Christians, but I think even maybe a lot of Christians have of, of Catholics, uh, and and the Catholic way of like, oh, it's all this like fasting and um you know, other ways of, of like, you know, denying there's the whole Catholic guilt, you know, thing, right. um, which is a caricature that unfortunately even so many Catholics have bought into. Mm-hmm. And the whole idea here is that it's, it's not about some kind of guilt. It's about like, you've discovered the way to eternal joy, right? You've discovered the way to an, 
and, and there's a process of realizing that some things can get in the way of that. Mm-hmm. Other things are good things, wonderful things that we can, by denying ourselves those things, right, that that in and of itself is a means of obtaining the greater thing, right? Yeah, it's like, and, it's and like it, brushing your teeth. Well, well, it's like any, yeah, well, how is it like brushing your teeth? It's like brushing your teeth, man. Like the worst part of my day uh-huh. is brushing my kids' teeth because <laughs> they're they they hate it. They scream and cry. You know, you have to pin them down, hold their mouth open. They Dang. don't want to brush their teeth, man. Torture. <laughs> it's close. It's really it's really <laughs> it's really heartrending. I mean, when you're done, they just jump up and start playing again. They don't care, but right. But they have no idea that I'm doing something good for them. Right. And that you know eventually they'll learn how to do it themselves. They still don't really understand that it's a good thing. Right. But when they go to the dentist. They'll, you know, they'll, they'll start to learn, you know, that the, the kid in the chair next to them screaming and crying because he's getting drilled in the mouth and they're not, they're like, oh, you know, <laughs> there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a good that's greater that it's worth sacrificing for every day by scrubbing your teeth. Yeah. It's greater than the good of not brushing your teeth so you can play with your transformer. Well, and th- so there's the, and, and that would be like the, the, uh, avoiding punishment aspect of it right because you're you're preventing yourself from having to go through much greater pain in the future mm-hmm. of like with the teeth and um and then you get to enjoy your wonderful teeth, teeth. Yeah. like stare at yourself in the mirror like <laughs> um <laughs> and uh and then there's also you know there's also the notion that like you know and it, it, you can't really use the brushing teeth analogy for this but like of the athlete right who wants to obtain yeah. olympic glory right right um who knows how much how much Michael Phelps had to sacrifice, uh, you know, in his like kind of young life in order right. to be how much pain really like puts himself through just hours and hours of just swimming. Yeah. Swimming. Yeah. Pushing his body to what to end painful max so that he could be the dude standing on the, on the top of the podium in front of the entire world. Right. There's no shortcuts there. And, and, and so ultimately that he could be the dude that won all those gold medals. Right. And set the record for number of gold medals. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, like right. that's an, that's kind of the more positive image of the sacrifice that you go through. He didn't look at all that other stuff and, you know, whatever it was like, whatever he had to give up, right. In order to spend all that extra time swimming yeah. and swimming and swimming, you know, he looked at all that and said, it's a good thing to give this up in order to obtain this greater thing, right? Mm-hmm. These are good things that I'm giving up. Maybe it's spending more time with friends or something like that yeah. in order to obtain, this ultimate greater good, mm-hmm. right? That's which I which I feel like I'm capable of obtaining, mm-hmm. right? So there's that you know there's that pos- the the positive aspect of it as well, mm-hmm. right? And and that's what a lot both of those things are have to do with the Christian concept of you know of sacrificing of good things. It's not denying ourselves because those things are bad things. It's denying ourselves because uh, either they're a trap, like either either they can cause us if we. There, there are illicit things that can cause us problems, right? Further down the road, mm-hmm. right? Um, the seeds that we might sow, which can come back to, you know, reap bitterness for us, yeah. right? And then there's the the things we give up to obtain some greater end, the good things we give up to obtain some greater end. Yes, and I, I mean, I've been convinced. I just taught an ethics class last mm-hmm. year, and one of the thing, one of the fundamental things I learned or relearned was the the centrality to you know, the human pursuit of happiness mm-hmm. is basic to that sort of orientation in life. And you're sort of, I'm looking to, you know, to have a happy life, mm-hmm. you know, and the, the sort of this so fundamental to that is this idea that, so our desires are rightly ordered and then we're able to, um, you know, keep focused on the largest desire and mm-hmm. those other desires aren't, um, won't be getting in the way. They're not put in a bigger on a bigger pedestal than they they deserve. So right. the dessert on my table needs to have the smallest plate. It needs to be after the meal, you know. And I can't eat too much of it because if I do, I'll get sick, or I'll be overweight, I'll be unhealthy. But I can put place my desire for my chocolate ice cream in the right place. Right. You know. And and uh, I think that's one of the great teachings of Saint Augustine. Yeah was that we're, we're pulled in all these different directions, but that rightly ordering our desires by the main desire and all those fall in line underneath it. You know, we're, we're, our human potential is fulfilled and ordered properly. And we get to enjoy the things that are, that are good mm-hmm. in as much as they're good. Yeah. I mean, uh, I used to, 
so you go back to the image of the child in the slum with the mud pie and then versus the you know the beach vacation that he can't even fathom mm. right at this point um you know i'll be going to the beach with the family soon and uh you know i i love going to the beach ever since i was a kid like we when i was a kid like going to the beach was a very like deeply like spiritual experience for mm. me on like on the on the level of being the kid i was right but i really felt like a deeper sense of contact with God, with, with the divine when I would go to the beach, because it is, it's, uh, it would feel like a transcendent experience for me in yeah, a lot of ways. Right. It's boundless sea. In yeah. Front of you. Right. And so there was a longing in it, you know, that, uh, it's, you know, that that's kind of, it was awakened in me, you know, mm-hmm. so I, I can identify with what, with Lewis's, um, little image there. But as I've gotten older, even this, even the sea, right. If I, if I like put it up on too high a pedestal in my own heart, like going on his beach vacation, it actually becomes something that's less enjoyable for me. Mm-hmm. Right. Because getting back to that whole thing of like, right. You, you realize that there's this process of idolatry that we're capable of, of putting this thing up and saying, this will just be every, this is everything I've been, li- if this is everything I've been living for, right. Is this next week I'll spend here or something like that. Then I'm like the older you get and the more you realize about, the nature of our lives and of, and of reality, you realize that like, it's not ultimately satisfying. Like, like it, you maybe once thought it could be right. Um, if you can hold it as a good thing, but a subordinate good thing to greater goods, then you realize it can be enjoyed on a, on a good level. Right. Um, but if you if you try to hold it up as like the ultimate thing you're living for, whatever it is, right? Whether it's that beach vacation, whether it's yeah, you know, retirement, re- retirement, whether you know, it, any of those things, right? Yeah. The, the three things you list before: money, sex, ambition, Reddit, whatever, and all the different things associated with those things. Then they can become you, you, they they start to lose their savor, right? They really do. They start to lose their savor, and and uh, and I've seen that. I've seen that process happen in my own, in my own heart over time. And and what it's caused me to have to do is realize like, where is my, like, where is my focus really? Mm -hmm. Right. And, you know, I think that's why, like, I think that's why you hear so many like people remind, like, you know, um, like this last Sunday, uh, the, the homily at the parish I went to was a reminder of the priest just, just said like, you know, do you have a daily, you know, do you have a daily prayer life? Mm-hmm. Right. And how foundationally, and he was just saying like, do you start off your day with, and, and basically like entering into the presence of God? Um, because if not, then you're, you're going to be disordered. Right. I think that was ultimately his point. Right. Um, and everything else is going to fall out of perspective. That's just like a first step you can take every day to make sure that you are, you're moving your desires in the proper direction, yeah. right? You're ordered in the proper direction, which I think is kind of the point you're getting to yeah. in the, in terms of ethics, right? Yeah. 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 One of the great lines from St. Augustine, mm-hmm. where he's commenting on the book of wisdom and it says something like you order, uh, Oh God, you ordered everything according to measure and weight. I think there's a third one, measure something and weight. Yeah. Uh, or weight, something and measure. I forget weight line and measure or something. Mm-hmm. And he sa- and Augustine says, amor pondus, my love is my weight. Hmm. that, you know, the, the uh, heart of what I am is the longing for for ultimate goodness, mm-hmm. for ultimate beatitude, for um, immersion of myself in the sea of divine bliss. Yeah. And um, communion with God, or however you want to talk about it, beatific vision. Right. And um, Amor Pondus, that, that what, what gives me weight, I'm talking about the weight of glory, I think... He, so the Hebrew word, if I remember correctly, for glory has affiliations with weight, mm-hmm. and the Greek doesn't. Is that is that. the Hebrew word Shekinah, or uh, is that something different? Well, the she, the Shekinah, yeah, the, yeah, that's the the glory, um, the glory um, cloud or the light that okay. sits above the. She- the so it is Shekinah. The that's the. Um, that's just like for the light of glory, like God, yeah, the divine light. Um, gosh, man, I can't remember honestly. Okay, I can't remember, but the Shekinah is the the visible manifestation of divine presence Mm -hmm. and and in and the that word glory is used in the old testament for visible manifestation of god yeah so it's a material sort of uh, effect of god's presence yeah in the creation 
Yeah, and even the creation itself is sort of a, a glory, right? Because it manifests God. Oh, totally. And yeah. that's why, that's one of the reasons why the things of this world can be so easily idolized by us, right? Is because they are wonderful, right? Like, yeah. they're so good. Like the world is is such a good it's is such a good thing place and full of good things. Mm-hmm. And you know that's why it can be a little frustrating. Like what? Like God, if you didn't want me to make idols of everything, why did you have to make everything so good? Right? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. You know, it can be a little like, why? Are, you know, what's what's going on? Well, here? the problems with us. Well, I know. You know, but, you know what I mean. I know, but but it's yeah. That's that. That's the. This, this is a whole other topic for another episode, right? Yeah. Like, um. But uh, the the yes, the problem is with us. But come on, we, you know, every day, don't you? Don't you some you know sometimes think about whatever it is, right? You're just like, well, how, you know, God, why 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 did you have to make this such a wonderful thing if you don't want me spending all my time like obsessing over it? And, you know, do, <laughs> like why does that have to be so cool, right? right. Yeah, enchanting. Um, and or it's something. when this is right in front of me, and you know, it's harder to apprehend your glory, right? Which again is this journey that we're getting into, and it, and it'll, I get it. Like some people will probably be driven crazy by this. If you're not on, if you're not on on board the Christian on the train Christ, the Christian train right mm, slow train coming. you're gonna be you are you're gonna be like when I got all this cool stuff in front of me why would I even worry about this right yeah well here's the thing here's yeah. what I, I really am convinced about yeah you know when I have those moments in which you know that my um, my feet are on the in the right ground I I have my you know I, I'm, I'm rightly ordered to yeah. a degree that I can be mm-hmm. um, I'm liberated I'm free to enjoy music mm-hmm. and to pursue creative creatively to the, to the to, you know to the best I can you know and learn or I'm free I'm free to enjoy Latin language or whatever or the Greek language to you know spend so much work learning a, learning the paradigms and 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 enjoying Sophocles or whatever right um, I'm, I'm liberated to do those things and and they're goods. And um, we don't have to worry at all so much about, you know, we have to have the guilt or that angst. Um, you know, it, 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 you're, we tend to do to have that because we are disordered. Right. And now that's sort of a voice like gnawing in the back of our head. And that's mm-hmm. that's something to listen to. But but when it is, when it does hit right, you know, it's it's glorious. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Most definitely. Yeah. Well, so I want to come back to... His, that line, right? So I'm trying to rip open the inconsolable secret in each one of you. Um, and he calls it, so uh, what he says here is, uh, and speaking of this desire for our own far off country, which we find in ourselves even now, I feel a certain shyness. I am almost committing an, an indecency, right? I'm trying to rip open the inconsolable secret in each one of you. The secret which hurts so so much that you take your revenge on it by calling it names like nostalgia and romanticism and adolescence. The secret also which pierces with such sweetness that when, in very intimate conversation, the mention of it becomes imminent, we grow awkward and affect to laugh at ourselves. The secret we cannot hide and cannot tell that we desire to do both. I just, I mean, that passage, so good. Like, I think he is so right that within each one of us, there are longings that we struggle to even admit to ourselves. Like, scary as hell. Longing for things, like, just, I think, I think of, um, you know, longings, it's, it's difficult to put into words, but, you Our best art and music does. Yeah. It's beyond words, but it helps us reach it. Right. Well, and, and it's, I, there was a, a, the word just popped into my head of, um, like, shalom, right? Of the, just that universal peace and flourishing and the way things were meant to be mm-hmm. right this thing beyond you know the finding out right of what my heart ultimately desires all those all the material things that maybe stand in the natural things that maybe stand in and and can be used to medicate away that desire right because if i'm honest with myself about that desire it becomes painful yeah and and you know the thing that it comes back for me is like having um, having lost you know my brother uh, a few years ago, and and then having lost some dear friends when I was much younger, and just the desire to like have them with me again, hmm. right? Um, uh, like 
it well it, like my uh, my grandfather my mom's my mom's dad um you know he was um he was kind of a, a high anglican of sort of like mm-hmm. C, like c.s lewis and um and we we used to have great conversations about you know about faith and and those sorts of things and and i think he really in my mind he really understood what lewis is talking about here like this this concept like he would all <laughs> we always joked about him that he that there was this we called it he, we called him boomy and there was this um we joked about him having this boomy gene, right? That like, if you if you would pray and then you would start crying when you were pr- when you were praying, like one of the most endearing things about this man was that he would like he would like be praying at like Thanksgiving or something like that for like the family, and he would he he would inevitably like say something about those who rejoice with us on another shore, and he would start crying. Wow! Like at that, right? Man, yeah, and and to me, that's what like he was laying open that in himself yeah. right he was laying open that wound in himself of like whoever it was for him his mother his father friends um people who had gone before who were no longer you know with him and I'm, he knew a lot of i'm sure he knew a lot of friends that he lost at a young age because he was part of that greatest generation right mm-hmm. um the world war ii generation and you know and and to me that's that's like an icon of that lane of what lewis is talking about here that that because it was all it was always a little embarrassing for the rest of us when it was, oh, yeah. well, it, it got to be something we kind of joked about as a as an extended family but um but he's laying open that that wound that inconsolable longing right for for that re reuniting and that communion with those that we love right on a on a deeper level right mm-hmm. we glimpse it sometimes when we when we part ways with somebody who you know for a long time that we're, you know, we're good friends with. And, but it's especially hard when we lose somebody, you know, in a, in a, on a permanent level in this yeah. world. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, d- this is just such a, such a power. It's like Lewis was putting into words things that I had been first starting to sense yeah. in my own heart when yeah. I read this. Yeah. Uh, but just like nostalgia, right. That word in and of itself, the whole, like people, nostalgia can obviously be a problematic thing when we look back with like rose colored glasses on things of the past. But, but nostalgia, if you really think about it, it's a longing. It's not about really the past. It's about a myth of the past, right? It's about, and and, and in that way, it's not completely tied to any historical period. It's about something that says like, man, think weren't things so much simpler then, you know, like weren't, weren't like, and and they weren't really back in college. They they weren't really, but you remember the good things yeah. you remember the good things and and you remember them in terms of the spiritual resonance of them yeah. right and that's what you're really longing for is the spiritual resonance yeah like he says there in the essay or in the, the, the address if you call it nostalgia and you go back to a memory in the past like the romantics you know some words where somebody talking about childhood mm-hmm. when you go back to that event that it's not going to ha- possess that in and of itself, it's not going to possess that what you're um, placing on it. It's yeah. representative of something else. It's a symbol mm-hmm. of uh, the higher longing, right? The, the inconsolable secret that uh, that that only ever it only ever grows when you touch those things. Exactly. It's not. It's like a cup that flows over. The desire keeps overfilling that cup. That memory is just a cup that gets filled, and then the desire doesn't have a place to go. It's looking for some more. Looking for more, 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 more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It um we remain he says a little bit later, he says we remain conscious of a desire which no natural happiness will satisfy, right? Like if you really think about it, you you know, even I I would argue even if you're not a Christian, if you really take time to think about it, like there's an there is a happiness that you desire that no natural desire can satisfy. Right? And um and and what is that? Right? What is that thing that's calling to you? Mm-hmm. Right? that that is gnawing at your heart yeah you know um so you know just powerful powerful imagery here well i liked what you said a minute ago about how we uh we medicate it you know Mm -hmm. we're we're unhappy because of all the things we try to place that immortal longing into they're they're right they're they're not big enough containers for it Mm -hmm. so we're always unhappy we're always dissatisfied and we we medicate it we try to put it you know we stuff it down we avoid it you know because it because it's a wound like you said mm-hmm. it's a wound that we reopen yeah but if we like like lewis wants to try to do 
to us in his writing, in this uh, address, but also in his fiction. Um, if he wants to open the wound mm-hmm. and show us that, uh, well, you know, if you if you take the risk of letting that wound like sh- speak to you, it's going to speak. Um, that desire is going to speak. Um, speak the name God, right? And uh, get it, and then it, then the adventure starts. The human adventure starts there. Mm-hmm. You know. That's that's when you really start moving forward. Yeah, and on future episodes, we're going to talk about God, right? Because you know, um, we're going to talk about like almost like spend some time defining the, defining our terms, right? Yeah, <laughs> and talking about ultimately what we mean by God. Because yeah, we're going to take that, a few episodes on that, aren't we? Oh yeah, because that's such a complex question, and it's easy to even in our minds to substitute something in our imagination for God that's not really God, and you know, we need to we need to have a good long conversation about that. Right. Mm-hmm. So, uh, or at least I know I need to, right. Yeah. Um, so I gotta, find some, I gotta yeah. find somebody to talk at. Um, <laughs> so yeah. Uh, so we, it, I just love that line. Remain conscious of a desire, which no natural happiness will satisfy. So he goes on to list out five aspects of heavenly glory. Um, he says the first is to be with Christ. And he says like, well, isn't, is there anything that really could surpass that? But but he's saying, like, he argues that, like, well, I'm trying to say what, script, what Scripture gives, right? There's five aspects to it that Scripture lists out of, okay. of this heavenly glory. So the first one is being with Christ. The second is that we shall be like him, mm-hmm. right? Um, which, that's a huge topic. This, the third is, he says, we shall have glory. The fourth is, he says, we shall feast, right? And then the fifth is, we shall be exalted in role, right? Hmm. Um, so, you know... You, you kind of there I'm not going to go too far into it but if you think about it with um money sex and ambition they're they're all there's they're analogs in these to them right yeah. um so but he really focuses on that third one we shall have glory uh obviously the essay is called the weight of glory mm-hmm. so he goes on and to explore like what is glory exactly and there's two mm-hmm. two key aspects of it that he can kind of call to mind and uh, the first is glory is fame. And then the second one is glory is light. And he, he has a funny way of putting these two things. Cause he's like, the first one can seem like, well, if I'm just worried about being famous, then isn't that really like more of a vision of hell? Right. Because if it's, if my desire is just this competitive desire to be better known than others, then that's really a vision of hell. Mm-hmm. So what's that all about? Yeah. And, and then the second one, he's like, who wants to be, um, who, who wants to be just like a, a brightly shining light bulb. Right. Like, you know, with the, the vision of light. So he, he, he says those things and, and by way of introducing, in order to introduce the topic hmm. and a, a further exploration of these two ideas. Um, and, and with fame, he says, you know, he really lands on true fame is to be known by God, right? That, that's the fame that we really long for. And again, on surface level, you're like, okay, but it's his exploration of this that is so powerful, mm-hmm. Right. Because he looks at it and he says, like, each of us, like, think about it. Like, you, you want to be seen. Who do you want to be seen by? You, there is some crowd you walk into and you're like, would you just see me, please? <laughs> you know, like, right. but it sounds funny, I'm but here. it's like, yeah. but isn't there, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We all have the things that we're made for and you're like, I see it, I see it in my kids, right? And he, he calls this out, right? This is a good image. Hmm. He, and maybe it's just good. It, it's it's disarming for us to think about kids because, you know, like doing these things because, you know, us adults were far removed from being kids, you know, mm-hmm. but right. in some ways, um, <laughs> but, but we, and it's a little more innocent when we see it with kids, right? It's obnoxious when you see adults doing things, a lot of the things that kids do. Um, but like, you know, my boys will come up to me all the time and like share something with me just like randomly. And it's like, it's clear to me that they just want, dad to say like a little word of like praise cool man or, yeah i'm proud of you buddy oh yeah you know yeah and uh, first of all i have to lord have mercy on me because i'm not good enough about just doing i mean you don't you don't want to just be praised like you don't want to just be just be praising your kids all the time <laughs> you, you got to give them a little bit of hell here and there but um uh but but my my greater point is like that that's a that's a kind of a beautiful little thing right like of just and it's and it's a telling thing that like Hey dad, check out, check this out, check out what I did or, you know, mm-hmm. check out this thing I noticed. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. just 
they want to be re- they they want to be seen they want to be recognized yeah. right mm-hmm. and what is that like what is that desire and if you really think about it if you're honest with yourself you who are listening if you're honest with yourself you have that same desire within you that there's totally. somebody you want to be seen by mm-hmm. right yeah. and and not just seen like not just noticed but like but you want to be known you want you want them to like invest in knowing you mm-hmm. right yeah and um, you want to be approved. Yeah. You want, to, you want to be approved for what you, who you really, really are. The part of you that you're afraid to, you know, reveal. Mm-hmm. You want that part of you to be, to be approved, accepted, liked, mm-hmm. honored, um, for what, for just for being you. Well, and think about the thing that you are working for in your life right now, right? Think about whatever it is that you are aiming for, that you spend your, your time working to accomplish and, you know, you, whether you, you are in like a corporate job, whatever it is, right? Like there's a level in you or, or, you know, maybe, maybe you're in a job that you don't really like and you spend your time, you you know, and you want to spend more time doing other things, right? There's a, why do you want to do those things? Well, part of it is because you want, there's some, there's some gift, there's something within you that wants to be seen and appreciated and recognized. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And that's not a bad thing. Yeah. Like, because ultimately Christ tells us that, you know, that he's going to say to some people, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Yeah. Right. And because he's going to know everything, all of the good that they did. So, right. You know, yeah. that's a, that's a really powerful aspect of glory to reflect on that desire. Right. There's the, the lower level desire of like, well, I want to be famous, you know, for something in this world. Right. I want to be playing, on stage for thousands of people having them sing along to my songs and, you know, you know, and cheering for me and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, diving into my back catalog and all this kind of stuff and asking me interesting questions about why, you know, why I chose this lyric (laughs) rather than this lyric or something like that. And everything you say is great and adored by everyone. Yeah. Adored by millions. Right. Um, yeah. And it's amazing how strong that feeling is, especially as you get older, mm -hmm. that you're, you know, you want so bad to leave something valuable behind you. I right. Mean, even, and then you can, it's your children. You can identify that with, um, you know, I don't know, the novel you wrote or the books you write or the songs you write and perform. Mm-hmm. But it's, man, it just grows and grows, that feeling, yeah. at least in my experience. Absolutely. And and ultimately, like, that is what Lewis is, is saying here is that that is a, that's a shadow of the, longing to be known by God. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's a that's a tough one like to to wrap your head around because the uh, for some people the allure of being known by people in this world can be much greater and to be able to put that behind you. I I want to I feel like I got to bring up because he keeps on coming back to my mind St. Francis of Assisi and mm-hmm. I read I was reading something about him yesterday and just talking about how he was such a he, he was such a great saint because he he was just he he got this right everybody thinks he's famous because he like lived this radical radical poverty and you know and and all this kind of stuff and that's part of the truth but it, but like lewis was saying he wasn't just un- it wasn't just to be unselfish he did all of this because he was utterly desiring god right mm-hmm. he wanted to desire god more and more and more and so every opportunity that came along for him to give up something of this world was like a the ultimate blessing, like, oh, that means I get more God, yeah. right? Yeah, it gets that, in the that, way. That means I increase my desire for God. And, right. you know, so, and, and, yeah. and the irony of that is, of course, like, he he did all this thing and probably rejected all these opportunities to become more famous, but now he's St. Francis of Assisi, you know, like one of the most famous yeah. saints in history. There's a paradox here, too. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, it's only in a disordered world where goods get in the way of the highest good. So, it they, we we have to perform a sort of ascetic experience. We have to give up right for the higher good mm-hmm. because of because of this because of we're, we're outside of the garden. Yeah, because we're we're in a disordered world. Our desires get in the way. These things in and of themselves don't get in the way. They're actually there's no competition between God and anything else. They're not God is not like some bigger thing that has like a you know that it runs into contact with with material things or with with spiritual things. He's actually, all these things paradoxically in, in a rightly ordered world 
in the new creation where heaven and earth will no longer be like, you know, opposed to each other. All these things become uh, I, in icons. union with God. Icon, yeah. yeah, we're going to use that word again, but it, but they become uh, manifestations of the divine presence. Yeah. And there's no, they don't take us away from God. They only just sh- show us more and more of God. Exactly. Yeah. And that's a, that's a key theme that, um, that Lewis reiterates at the, like towards the end of this essay, he says, he's very clear that he's not opposing the flesh, the material things to the gospel that, that our bodies just as much as our souls are meant for redemption. Mm-hmm. And I think that, and that certainly would apply in his mind to all of creation, right? That it's all meant for, you know, for this redemption and ultimate fulfillment. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and then there's this other aspect, um, glory is light, right? So what is, what is that all about? Um, and, and man, this so good. He says, we don't just want to see beauty. We want to be united with it, to bathe in it. Right. Um, like you think about something, I think about like, um, my trip out West a year and a half ago to the Southwestern United States and to a lot of the national parks and just this Hmm. unbelievable natural beauty. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you behold it all and you see with your own eyes and it's glorious to see with your own eyes other than just in pictures. Right. But even then there's something like, there's some kind of weird thing in it there. You're like, that I just kind of want to be here and just like dissolve in this, in all of this. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to be like, be united with it. As weird as that sounds like, how do I become, how do I become part of this? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, Mm-hmm. this incredible beauty. Yeah. And can I just can I just put up a tent here and just live like live here and commune with it, you know? Mm-hmm. Like you, you can understand the appeal of people who just like give, give away everything and just go like yeah. do something like a that, right? Kind of life. Yeah. Um because because ultimately, yeah, like when we see something that's beautiful that that pulls at our at that deep longing in our heart, there's a desire in it if if we really think down another level to be united with it in some way. Right. No doubt. Um, yeah. So, um, you know, L- Lewis calls this out as something of the idea of like to, to take beauty within, to take ultimate beauty within yourself. Right. And, and have it pouring then out of you. And that's that light, mm-hmm. right. That that's that light that is called out as part of the glory. Right. Yeah. And then that makes sense of a lot of these strange stories about saints that, you know, have like a manifest sort of a light. Yeah. You know, they see the divine light, sort of these crazy stories about, well, you have, you know, like uh, Moses going to the meet with God and then he comes out, he has to put a veil over his face because right. of the, the, the glory light that's shining from his face. Mm-hmm. There's sort of a, he's he's sharing in the divine. Or the, uh, the, the transfiguration. Or the transfiguration right? of Jesus, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Up on the mountain where he discloses, he like pulls the shutters open and discloses like the heavenly glory that that's really his. Right. Yeah, and uh, well, even in even in the book of Revelation, where the there's no sun because the because Christ is is the sun, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, like he is the light that fills, and there's no there will be no night, right? Because he is the light that fills, and that might sound exhausting to think that there's no night, but you won't be exhausted by it. Yeah, like, that's the yeah. <laughs> that's the thing to understand. Like, the, that your yeah your batteries are being recharged by right. the light itself, by the source, the true source. Right, and it's uh it's not a, it's not an obnoxious light or anything like that. It's a it's 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 the light of beauty, the light of glory, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Yeah, it's an image. Um, constantly, you know, constantly filling you. So, um, you know, he he just says like, um, to be filled and overflowing with beauty. I I like I love this little line. He calls he calls this um, he call like when he's talking about he talks about these like realms of longing that we can't we can't identify. They go beyond our imagination, but he. He, he does name them in a sense. He talks about like, he calls this like in the beyond nature, right? As if beyond nature is like a place, right? So this is, um, let me see if I can find the exact quote. Um, so he says, when all the suns and nebulae have passed away, each one of you will still be alive. Nature is only the image, the symbol, but it is the symbol scripture invites me to use. We are summoned to pass in through nature, beyond her, into that splendor which she fitfully reflects. And in there, in beyond nature, we shall eat of the tree of life, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's one of the most appealing things about Lewis to me is he he doesn't like rest in a like abstract philosophical way, but he 
he still like names things in a very in a way that can appeal to uh to to our our i guess to our cell like to our bodies right to yeah. the material aspect of ourselves well, yeah right? i think what he know what he realizes recognizes and this is a part of his brilliance mm-hmm. is that the images and symbols uh that uh, they speak a sort of deeper and higher word than our than our greatest philosophical abstractions mm-hmm. our concepts we 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 sacrifice something I mean, concepts are crucial and important. We'll get into this, I think, I hope, when we talk about God. Yes. The idea of God. But but beyond the, our images, we have to sort of chastise our images. We can't identify God with, you know, um, you know, the images that, that we, we have of him. We always have to sort of negate those. Mm-hmm. And we go and we sort of purify our, 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 ment- our idea, we kind of reach to a sort of higher idea of God. But, but beyond those higher ideas, this is like the whole mystical tradition does this again and again and again in Christianity those images return and they critique the concepts, the abstractions again, because those abstractions are just as much anthropomorphisms as the original images. Mm-hmm. And God actually privileges the images in, in revelation. So we have to, we have to, we have to follow that kind of thinking. So I think, I think Lewis is so indebted to that, cr- that uniquely Christian approach to uh, reasoning about n- learning about knowing about the highest things mm-hmm. that, that our, our images and symbols, the sort of the seemingly most ba- uh, mundane and base mm-hmm. things, are actually sort of they 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 are granted sort of this the this capacity to when we can come to learn about it, come mm-hmm. to understand it, this higher capacity to signify the divine. Yeah. So there's no opposition ultimately again between right. soul and body, between spiritual and material. You know, it's all uh, meant for. And this is meant for the the, the highest mm-hmm. as one. So that idea of the cosmic sort of union thing again, right? Yeah, good stuff. And you know, so we're get we're getting to the end of it. And you know, basically, where like so, where does the weight of glory come in? So we we spend a lot of time talking about glory, and it's funny to me because this is one of those things where like the um, you know you you're kind of waiting to get to the uh, to the payoff, but the getting to the payoff is so good. <laughs> Mm-hmm. That you can almost like lose sight of the payoff. Hmm. The payoff of all this is that Lewis says, like, we have so so we have to remember that in all of this, right? Because this is this is where you know morality starts to starts to come back in. Because mm-hmm. all this talk of glory sounds great and wonderful, and it and it is, but but so what, right? What does this truly mean for us? And and his he argues that um, we bear we bear the weight of glory because in our, in, in our moral lives in our moral dimension, our ethical dimension, we have to recognize that everything we do, especially to, to our neighbor, right. Is to an immortal being, right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. To, yeah. to someone who will have that glory, right. To someone who is destined for that glory yeah. in an immortal sense. Like we don't ever deal with mere mortals, and we're dealing with our neighbor. We're dealing yeah. with, we're dealing with creatures that if we saw their final state now, yeah, we'd be tempted we'd be to, tempted to worship them. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Um, just like people are, tempt, you know, want to worship angels in the Bible, right? Yeah. Like we would if we if I saw, you know, think of the person that maybe I despise most in my daily life, right? <laughs> um, you know, or just like you know somebody maybe I don't even know. But I'm just like Somebody oh, repulsive, they, or like I just disgusting. You know, maybe there's some famous yeah. person and you just, you don't like them or whatever, right. and you're like, but if I think about like what God wants for them and the ultimate glory that they're destined for, and if I saw them in that, yeah, right now, because that's if I saw them in that right now, I would be tempted to fall down and worship them. Yeah, right. Um, that is a staggering <clears throat> thought. You know, it really, again, it really starts to put things in a different perspective. Mm-hmm. So um, he says, the weight of my neighbor's glory should be placed on my back. Um, and, he, and he finishes it all by saying, hmm. um, uh, he says, we must play, but our merriment must be of that kind. And it is, in fact, the merriest kind, which exists between people who have, from the outset, taken each other seriously. No flippancy, no superiority, no presumption. And our charity must be a real and costly love, which deep, with deep feeling for the sins in spite of which we love the sinner. 
no mere tolerance or indulgence which parodies love, as flippancy parodies merriment. Next to the blessed sacrament itself, your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. If he is your Christian neighbor, he is holy in almost the same way, for in him also Christ very uh, lat. I don't even know how to say that latitat. <laughs> latit very latitat. Yeah, right. latitat. The glorifier and the glorified glory himself is truly hidden. For yeah. in him, in him, the Christian neighbor, right? Um, and <clears throat> yeah, which. I, you know, going back and reading this, you know, is a, it, it strikes me going back when I probably first read this and here, reading that line, like next to the blessed sacrament itself, your neighbor is the holy subject presented to your senses. I was like, what the blessed sacrament? So the blessed sacrament is more important than my neighbor. <laughs> I probably was just like, what is that? Mm-hmm. What does he mean by that? Yeah. You know? Um, so a very, very Catholic touch there. Um, but the great, the big point that we're that he wants us to take away is that we, the weight of glory, is the weight of our neighbor's glory, right? And in consequence, our own, the weight of our own glory, right? Because we get there together. Man, wow, he really does. Uh, that's amazing. Yeah, <clears throat> so amazing. Thanks for joining us today on the Red Lamp District. We will talk at you next time. Bye bye. <laughs>